We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Do you want to walk into a room and have everyone think, damn, who is this alluring glass of just pure amazingness? Well, then you're option should be Indochino when it comes to your wear and your suits. Indochino is the world's largest made-to-measure menswear brand. They make suits, shirts, coats, and more, and everything is made to your exact measurements for a great fit. Indochino's process is simple. Choose your fabric, pick your customizations, and submit your measurements. Your package will be delivered straight to your door in two weeks. You can get measured and design your suit at your nearest Indochino showroom or do it all yourself online at Indochino.com. Incredibly convenient, and I can tell you from personal experience how amazing their product is. I look fly, I look fresh, and it's because of my suit. Right now, you can get $30 off your total purchase of $399 or more at Indochino.com when entering Blue Wire at checkout. Plus, shipping is free. Shipping is free. That's Indochino.com promo code BLUEWIRE for $30 off your total purchase of $399 or more. Incredible deal for made-to-measure clothing. You really have no excuse anymore to wear clothing that doesn't fit. Look great for the holidays and wear Indochino. Again, checkout code BLUEWIRE. Blue Wire. Welcome back, everyone. This is the Big Blue Banter New York Giants podcast. I'm Dan Schneier, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Nick Pilato. Before we dive into our immediate reaction from the Giants game today, week 13, and our key takeaways, we hope everyone had an excellent Thanksgiving. Nick, the Giants haven't given us much to be thankful for, 
Um, once again, we're reporting and recording after another loss. But how was your turkey day with them actually not on the TV and disappointing us? Pretty awesome to watch Dallas disappoint their fan base which was, I mean, got to kind of tip your cap to Josh Allen. But, yeah, not Turkey Day, you know, had the turkey carcass with the butt stuffing and everything, and it was uh, quite lovely. Turkey Day was great for me, too. Always good with my family to watch Dallas lose. Very fun game. Also, obviously, bright side today, and we'll get to it in a little bit. This day was actually really good for the Giants draft order. And, you know, if things trend in this direction, it could end up being a blessing in disguise that they lose some of these close games. And obviously this game wasn't that close, but for a little bit, they were competitive um, through the third quarter when they started giving up those fourth and tens and third and long penalties and everything they normally do to lose these games. But let's dive into what your immediate reaction was from this game. Nick. This is what the New York giants have been. We knew they were, we know they're a bad football team. We know that coaching has been an issue. We've kind of gone through that on this podcast. I mean, we've beaten this dead horse. And they were able to compete and possess the ball, which I thought were positive signs. And I thought Daniel Jones played relatively well, and then he made those damning mistakes that rookies will make, just throws where he just should not have either made the throw or overthrows things along those lines. But he also played in really inclement weather and showed up with some big passes in those situations as well so i mean there were things to take away that were positives with daniel there were things to take away that were negatives i feel like we say that a lot but with this game in particular because of the interceptions and those turnovers from the interception side of the ball whereas usually it's the fumbling issue that daniel has kind of suffered from since his days at duke but the giants i mean they hung in there and aaron Rodgers did what aaron Rodgers was going to do to this team carved up that secondary and they just couldn't overcome the lack of talent that the secondary has and people are still clamoring for better to be fired but these young players in this kind of system it is going to be growing pains giants nation there are going to be mistakes and they really rear their ugly head every single week but it's one of those things that i look at this team i look at seeing sam beal julian love Corey ballantyne deandre baker you see them all out there and you hope that they can learn the system for year two and kind of just take their lumps now. And same goes for Daniel Jones on the offensive side of the football. I don't know if any of the Giants fans saw Aaron Rodgers and Daniel Jones after the game. Aaron Rodgers went up to him and had a nice little talk. They actually had the camera on it, and Aaron Rodgers basically said, "Hey, there's going to be a lot of you got to learn from these, learn from these games, learn from these times now, and grow from it." It was actually a nice little moment between Aaron and Daniel Jones. And I mean, that's just basically message of all these games right now just learn from it and grow who knows if this coaching staff will be around more than likely not but that's a discussion for another day or maybe later on in this podcast yeah i mean we're definitely going to get to that on this podcast we'll probably be talking about that um for the rest of the season that's just kind of how it is each game updates kind of where we're at and where the giants are at and where we believe they might be at um dive into jones in a bit because uh, I have a bunch to say on him. I'm sure you do, and we'll dive into him specifically. But just in general, this game was really interesting to me. You see a field covered in white from the start. There was snow and heavy winds, and it was really cold out there. Not a good game for offense. It's not a good game for quarterbacks. Obviously, any game is a good game for quarterbacks against the Giants secondary and Giants defense, who've now allowed at least 31 points in their seventh game this season, tied for a franchise record for the most times that's ever happened. Um, so, yes. Aaron Rodgers made some incredible throws. He also had some times where he had all day standing back there, and eventually somebody got over the middle. In the end, threw for similar yardage to Daniel Jones. 
But the game was interesting and a lot different than I expected it because on three of the first four possessions, there were touchdowns. There was what I thought was Jones's best drive of the entire game. Uh, I'm sorry, of the entire season. Um, that first touchdown drive that ended in a Sterling Shepard catch. But really, it was an odd game. Like the Giants had at one point an 18 play drive that ended in a field goal. Um, a six from the six yard line and it ate nine thirty one of game clock off the clock. So it would take up nearly the entire second quarter. It was so odd. The Giants at one point in the third quarter uh, had cut the lead to 17, 13, and they had dominated time possession at the time. Uh, I believe it was 24 minutes to 13 minutes at the time. And that's when the green Bay converted a fourth down. They also on third and goal from their own, from the 12, somehow found a way to get the ball to Dante Adams. I don't know how the Giants are the only team in the NFL who can't stop a third and goal from the 12, where you have the back of the end zone operating as basically extra safeties. Just amazing to give up. The, the amount of third and longs the Giants gave up, in addition to the two penalties they got when they got stops on third downs, but they were holding away from the play. These are just, you know, microcosms. Like I tend to use this word a lot because it just brings me back here with the Giants of this season. They make all these ridiculous mistakes. And yeah, people are going to harp on the turnovers from Jones. They played a huge role in this game. There's no doubt about it. In a game like this where it's 31-13 and the Giants had more yards than the Packers and, and one time of possession. Uh, losing the turnover batter three three to zero made a massive difference. Um, and two of those, you know, one throw he was just very late. Um, we'll get to this in a minute. Um, the other two were just really bad throws by Jones. Two of the worst of his career. So it was a weird game for him, um, where he kind of mixed some of his best up with some of his worst in horrible conditions. Um, but you know, it is what it is now with the Giants. They are a team that we're not really focused as much on winning and losing anymore because it's hard to believe that there's any future for this team with Pat Shermer anyway. We'd love to see Daniel – I mean, as a fan, you'd love to see Daniel Jones get some wins in his rookie season. They're good growing moments, but it's really hard for this team to win. Um, anyway, I want to ask you this, Nick, because we got to update it now. And I want to – and I'll start by saying this. Mike Florio on Football Night in America, and for those who don't know, he runs Pro Football Talk, has some connections to the league, said that whispers around the league suggest that change is coming to the Giants, and he says that they're already putting together a coaching list. On a scale of 1 to 10, Nick, how hot is Pat Chambers' seed? Has to be a 9.9, <laughs> if not a 10. I, I mean, you lose eight in a row, and I know you have a rookie quarterback, and I'm sure Pat Shermer is going to try to rely on that excuse when he pitches it to management for his job or pitches it to Gettleman, depending on how hot Gettleman's seed is. He's going to try to use the fact that it's Daniel Jones, but it's not. And we've beaten this time. And time, again, as I always say on this podcast, when it comes to Pat Shermer and this mismanagement down the stretching games, his total lack of just a full awareness of being a head coach and maybe partly because it is the fact that he's calling plays and that kind of detracts from his ability to coach the entire game on a macro scale. But it doesn't matter. His play calling, his situational football, you see it every game. He has these mistakes and it's just not materializing with this coaching staff. And I do believe Hal Hunter is a big problem with this offense, with this offensive line. I think there is a talent on this offensive line. I think, Dan, I think you agree with me. There is talent on the offensive line, but it's not maximized. I'm not saying they're the best unit in the league by any stretch of the imagination, but the talent is not maximized by this coaching staff. And I believe the Maras, I believe Mara, the Tish, they're going to look at this. They're going to see this embarrassment, the fact that the Giants are a doormat. In the National Football League, this proud franchise that Wellington Mara built, this proud franchise, is a doormat and a laughingstock. And the Jets are in the same city. And the Jets 
just lost, got their asses kicked by the Bengals, dude. And the Giants are still the ones that are the mockery. That is not going to sit well. And you lose eight games in a row. I think Pat Shermer is going to be gone. I mean, it would be a wise thing to have this coaching list to be made by ownership. They need to make this coaching list. And I feel if any of these, if you can get rule or if you can get any of these coaches that are going to be highly pursued after, the Giants need to jump on that. And it needs to be something that is not just going to be these two-year fixes, man. McAdoo, I believe, was a hire because they wanted to extend Eli Manning's career. And Eli, as we said on the last podcast, Eli and McAdoo had some rapport and they didn't want McAdoo to go to the Eagles or they didn't want to lose McAdoo, so they did the whole thing with Coughlin. And then Shermer came in, wasn't the strongest coaching class that year, and the Giants ended up with Shermer, didn't get McDaniels, and now we see two years later, this team has been absolutely abysmal in his reign. So I think it's going to be time, and I would say 9.9. I mean, how do you run this back? I'm going to go 9.9. That doesn't mean I don't think it can cool down from this point. I think that you know, there are ways for that seat to cool down. Wins over Washington and Miami. Um, one big random win. Maybe like a game against this crappy Eagles team that feels like a good win for the Giants. Meanwhile, it's a meaningless win because the Eagles are a terrible football team, as we should have learned a long time ago. But we learned today um, with their loss to Miami in a must-win game. But I think that we're trending in the direction now where he is actually going to be fired. This is an embarrassment. I mean, this is a football team that has more talent than the Miami Dolphins without a doubt. And they have not traded away first-round picks like Megan Thatcher. They've actually traded future picks to get former first-round picks like Leonard Williams. They're playing to win now. That trade is a win-now trade. I don't care what, what anyone says. He could have waited till the offseason. <laughs> and you know what? They have two wins. The Dolphins have more wins than the New York Giants. It doesn't make sense if you're not going to blame the coaching. And every game, there's moments where you just question what's going on. Why does Pat Shermer call a timeout with the second half, with the clock running down before halftime and only a second and 14 for Aaron Rodgers? It worked out that time, but we there have been countless times we've seen it not work out uh, where just a total mismanagement of the clock. Why did he call a timeout in the second half? on a fourth and short, uh, right before fourth and short, instead of just challenging the play, which looked like a bad spot and maybe been overturned, but worst case, you lose a timeout that you're going to use anyway. It's these simple things. They're not intuitive for him, um, and he's just not the right guy. His play calling mix is okay at times. It's bad at others. Um, so for me, it's really hot, and we'll see where that goes. But what, what do you make of where the Giants should be at right now with Gettleman? Is this something – I mean, we asked about it last podcast. I asked you about it, Nick. I guess we probably might not need an update every week on that. But at some point, if this team does finish the season with just two wins, um, and that would mean, you know, in these first two seasons, you know, winning under eight games, uh, I mean, at some point there has to – and again, he took over a hot mess – Jerry Reese's roster by the end of it were was literally the worst in the NFL. If you go by, it had the fewest drafted remaining players by any general manager. That's what Gettleman inherited. But, you know, some of these decisions that he's made, he's had some time now to change around that roster. And these guys aren't winning right now. So at what point does he take some of the blame, Nick? Or some more of the blame, I should ask you. So I believe Gettleman deserves blame. Obviously, this is his roster that he orchestrated. He put it together. But... Daniel Jones is his quarterback, and I believe the ownership 
and the team fully supports Daniel Jones. They kind of want to keep some sort of continuity together with this. Giants aren't an organization, as we've all heard and as we all know, that just kind of fires people at will. They're more of the long-standing organizations. Like they would rather have head coaches with longer tenure than just fire people. They're not the Browns. So I think Gettleman is more safe than Sherman. I do not believe that they're going to part ways with Gettleman. He's one of the guys who have been in the organization for a while, left, went to Carolina, was the general manager, got fired. We don't see it too, too many. I mean, it's more common now. Retreads of general managers. I mean, John Dorsey was, Gettleman is, and you knew the Giants brass just trusted him to kind of build this team back up. He's definitely made mistakes down the line. He has the second year drafting class, this this year's draft, or 2018's draft class hasn't progressed as we expected, although they had a really good rookie season. I feel, though... If we're going to assign a number to it, I wouldn't say it's more along that like seven range, 6.5. Not saying that five is the fire line, if you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, I mean, as far as where I would stand with it, Nick, I'm, again, just like last week, much higher on it. I would put it in the eight, nine range, but um, I don't think the Giants are going to move on from him after this season. Um, I think they believe that he can build something over t- and, and he needs a little bit more time. Um, we'll see if that ends up being the case, but... I think that's kind of where they're at right now. I don't think they ever had in mind that they were going to move on from general manager, uh, you know, within just two seasons. It's a little bit different for a coach, I believe, because I believe ultimately they believe that, you know, this team should be moving further in the right direction. And it's more of an indicament on the coaching than the management. And that just kind of goes back to some of the problems the Giants have had since, you know, Wellington passed and John took over operations. This has been a team that's been very loyal to the people who've worked with them. They hung on to Jerry Reese for years of just atrocious drafting and just terrible decision-making and just hung on to him and let him live because of two Super Bowls. One that was, you know, led by Eli Manning having a career season with a very bad team really around him with the exception of a pass rush that came alive in the playoffs. And then another that was really Ernie Acorsi's roster. It was one great draft class in Reese, but a roster that was mostly Ernie Acorsi's. Um, and it was built in an entirely different way than Jerry Reese built it once he took over for those next 10 years. So it wasn't really anything you should really have reflected on, but that's what Mara did. So we'll see what happens there, Nick. Um, before we dive into an update on the Giants draft order and overall takeaways of Daniel Jones and some other players, let's take a quick break to hear a word from our sponsors. Guys, doesn't it suck when we receive these holiday gifts that are so cliche? Things like socks, wallets, and ties, and we show up to these holiday parties with our faces looking like a beaver. Well, Perry's is the gift that is both thoughtful and practical. Listen, we all want a nice close shave so we can all be feeling ourselves in the holidays and everyone will be looking at us and being like, that guy has his stuff together. And listeners of this show can get $5 off any Harry's shave set by heading to harrys.com slash blue wire. Free shipping ends on December 16th, so act now. It's a great deal for you, and if this is a lady listening, it's a great deal for him. Holiday sets start at just $20. That's within Secret Santa limits, so you should probably capitalize on this. And Harry's Blades refill are as low as $2 each, so your guy will save money over time. It comes ready to gift in a handsome holiday gift box, and your gift gives back. 1% of each 
sale will be donated to charitable organizations. Isn't that the holiday spirit, ladies and gentlemen? As a special offer for fans of this show, we partnered with Harry's to give you $5 off any shave set, including their limited edition holiday sets, when you go to harrys.com slash bluewire. Plus, you'll get free shipping. Each Harry's shaving set comes with a weighted handle with option to engrave, if you're so inclined, five blade razor cartridges, foaming shave gel for a rich lather, travel cover to protect your blades, packaged in a handsome little holiday gift box. Free shipping ends on December 16th, so act now. Just go to harrys.com slash bluewire. That's harrys.com slash bluewire. Ah, you smell that, ladies and gentlemen? The holiday rush is here. You have to be able to ship orders out quickly, efficiently, and most importantly, affordably. But how do you keep track of all of those orders, decide which shipping carrier to use, or if you're even getting the best rates? Luckily, ShipStation can help. With just a few clicks, you'll be managing orders, printing labels, and getting those products out the door and delivered in time for the holidays. ShipStation works with all of the major carriers, including USPS, FedEx, and UPS. So you can compare and choose the best shipping solution for you and your customer. No wonder ShipStation is the number one numero uno choice of online sellers. You'll ship more in less time with the best rates available. Take the hassle out of the holiday shipping this year. Let ShipStation help you handle it all with ease. Just use my offer code blue to get a 60 day free trial that's two months free of no hassle stress-free holiday shopping in this holiday season i'm sure we can all use that just visit shipstation.com click on the microphone at the top of the page and type in blue like the color that's shipstation.com enter offer code blue shipstation make ship happen all right, so there was good news to come out of this game, and the good news was that the teams the Giants needed to win football games today um, to help boost the Giants' draft order did. The Washington Redskins upset the Carolina Panthers as 10-point underdogs. Um, didn't get a chance to see too much of that game, but that's a big one for the Giants. Miami Dolphins beat the Philadelphia Eagles as massive 11-point underdogs. They both moved to 3-9, and nine, both of those teams. Atlanta actually lost, so they they dropped the three and nine. Detroit three and eight one. Uh, Arizona three and one. Those teams all lost, so that wasn't anything specifically great for the Giants. And Cincinnati actually won their first game to move to one and eleven. So the Giants are now in sole possession of that number two pick at two and ten. And even if they finish with the same record, the Giants will actually have the tiebreaker over the Redskins. Double check the math recently on that. And most likely, unless a few things don't break their way at the end, they will win that tiebreaker. That's not the case with Miami, though. So you're really looking for the Giants to be finished one game behind Miami. But obviously, this is a lot going to depend on the upcoming matchups with Miami and Washington. And it sucks to say, but the best outcome for, for the Giants long term, especially if Chase Young is who we think he is, is going to be losing those football games. Now, having said that, I don't know if that's going to be too much of a, you know, a too much of a task for this team with Pat Shermer as a head coach because he's a guy who finds ways to lose football games on a weekly basis. 
uh, with some of the stupid mistakes this team makes. So we'll see where they go from that. But right now, this was a great day for the New York Giants from a draft standpoint. Um, let's take a little bit of a deeper dive, Nick, into Daniel Jones' performance. What exactly did you see from him, just traits-wise or really just overall that you know gave you either reason for hope or reason for alarm? I feel Daniel Jones showed a lot of balls in this game. A lot of people, I mean, he's a Carolina kid, went to Duke. A lot of people thought that he may struggle in this bad weather. And he came out and he made some big time throws. He gave guys like Caden Smith, I mean, people that no one's ever heard of, chances to make big plays, jump up, high point balls, things along those lines, putting the ball in good location for his receivers to maximize their ability to make yards after catch and things along those lines. I thought that he had a couple instances of that. And I'm actually really excited to see what it looks like on the all 22. But on the flip side of that, he made two really ill-advised throws. The one that Tremont Williams intercepted, he just should not have done that. And then the other one, I can't remember who got the interception. It was just looked like some sort of overthrow. Didn't necessarily seem like it was a miscommunication on the route. And uh, it's just one of those things that I'm going to really break those plays down when we get the all 22 to see what the secondary was doing. Would love to see what happened pre-snap, see if there was something that he misread, something that he might have misjudged. But other than that, I saw just a kid out there who was kind of just putting it all on the line. And that's what we've kind of grown to love about Daniel Jones is the fact that he doesn't shy away whatsoever. And when it comes to making throws, he doesn't have a memory. When it comes to if he throws an interception, he's going to come back. He's going to keep throwing the football if the play calls allows him to do that. He has a lot of cojones, this kid. And that's one thing that um I love to see from my rookie quarterback. Yeah. It's up for me, at least on first glance of this game, Nick, to knock Jones or even really come away from this game feeling pessimistic. And I know it sounds crazy to some fans who really are just going to jump down his throat for those two and for those three turnovers. Um, and again, two of those were just really bad balls where he really missed his target, which is so rare. We just don't see him that from him very often. With bad ball placement. And the, and the first one was just really too late. Uh, bad timing. All yeah. of them, I believe, came on third and or uh, I know the first one was on a third and long. And I believe and one of them was third and 18. Um, and I'm not sure what the third one was. But these are, you know, situations that, again, the Giants find themselves in with, you know, when they have a head coach who's 17 and 44 in his career, Pat Shermer, you know, it would take him seven years just to be a 500 coach. I saw that today. I thought that was funny. And a coach who stopped him. Why are the Giants not using RPO anymore? You know, why aren't they not using all these concepts? But back to Jones for a second. I did think it was a really gritty performance from someone who got injured clearly when the Giants used him on a design run on fourth and two. You know, this is the drawback to doing that so often. And the Giants have made that a staple of what they do. And this is one of those drawbacks. But played through that injury. And it reminded me a lot of the game I watched him play at Duke against Clemson where he was really outmatched. Uh, Zadarius Smith was getting pressure at will against Nate Solder. Um, there were there were early pressures by other Packers against Will Hernandez. I watched Solder, Hernandez, and Jalapio on a series of three separate plays get beat so cleanly and soundly that those three plays were dead from the start. Um, so Giants found themselves in a position a lot where they were in long-distance-to-go situations, and that wasn't great. But in a cold day with really bad weather, Jones found a way to use the weapons that were left, minus Ingram, Minus Tate, who's been a big a big player for him, and find big plays with guys like Caden Smith, who we'll get to a little bit later. I thought he had a great game. Uh, started to get Sterling Shepard going a little bit. We saw a little bit of Slayton, um, and then obviously some other receivers got involved later in the game. But you know, overall, I thought he had a strong perform. Uh, I would say a strong performance minus the turnovers. I think that's fair to say. 
um, in this game. Some of the throws he made were awesome. He made an outside hash throw on his first touchdown drive. That was awesome. He made a he threw the ball to Latimer was unbelievable on the deep post that dropped right in. Uh, the ball to Caden Smith was really nice under heavy duress. Um, and he threw a nice uh, one down the a 29 yarder that got called back by penalty down the left hash. So he had some big time NFL throws, I thought, in this game. Um, obviously, he had that throw where he rolled to his left and kind of off balance dropped the ball in on a design PA bootleg where he was really had no bounds space there. And that kind of showed off the arm talent there. I thought he threw the ball well overall in those conditions, too. You're not going to see that from every quarterback. And I thought that was an important thing for us to see because it was a big question mark of his coming into the NFL, having played down in the South. Um, and Duke had not been in a game like that, a really bad weather game like this one was. So overall, for me, I saw some more signs of positive than signs of negative. For me with Jones, I've never thought that the Giants were drafting the next Patrick Mahomes or Deshaun Watson. Really, for me, the ceiling for Jones is kind of a player who kind of reaches into like somewhat of a Matt Ryan style of player. That doesn't mean exactly Matt Ryan, but that style of player. And for me, Jones will be defined by if he can make those fourth quarter comeback drives and have his save his best for the end. And we just don't see that this season and won't see that this season on this Giants team because they're so rarely in games in the fourth quarter, uh, you know, based on a lot of reasons. So for me, overall, definitely came away excited about it. But what did you make, Nick, of Janoris Jenkins' comments after the game, calling out the coaching staff a bit? Because I thought it was interesting. Before the game ended, I tweeted about how surprised I was, honestly, to see so many situations where Devontae Adams was getting matched up against Grant Haley and Corey Ballantyne. Seems like easy coaching wins for the Packers versus the Giants. The Giants didn't adjust. They didn't do anything. They didn't move Jenkins to kind of shadow Devontae Adams. And after the game, you know, Jenkins talked about it. He said, you've got to use your weapons. I'm the only one in the league, the only number one in the league that doesn't travel with my opponents. I stand on the left side. I had two balls thrown my way. And he says, I don't understand why. And for all the, you know, what we make of Jenkins' struggles in the run game and kind of with effort on some plays, he's still been their best pure cover cornerback. Um, and we saw it on one play earlier in the game. So what do you make of what Jenkins said about Betcher and the coaching staff? And he referred to himself in third person, which is just the it, it epitomizes what cornerbacks are, the swag, the confidence. It's a very confident take. And Janoris Jenkins has never shied away from kind of throwing coaches under the bus and just talking about the Giants, I mean, the, throughout the last, what, season and a half or so, he's kind of, especially this season, he's been running his mouth about this coaching staff, kind of setting up his way out of this kind of dismal franchise. But he's not necessarily wrong. He should be on Devontae Adams, and he's by far the best cover corner on this team. I don't think he's one of those true lockdown, shutdown kind of cornerbacks. He may think he is, but I do not think he is. But he's by far better than anybody that the Giants have in their secondary. So it's one of those things that I look at and I say, he's kind of, I mean, you're throwing your coaching staff under the bus. That's not a good look. And I don't believe Janoris Jenkins will be on the roster next year, but he has a solid point. There's no reason for Devontae Adams to be matched up against Grant Haley, a guy who was couldn't even find snaps a couple weeks ago because he was replaced by a Division II six-round pick. Yeah. Without a doubt. Um, what did you make of Julian Love in this game? Because it seems like, you know, they get him on the field and he's making two key open field tackles in this game. And he's really just showing that he makes plays when he's on the field. Do you feel like it's another knock on the coaching staff to like similar to, you know, them allowing this this Devontae Adams in the slot matchup versus the Giants, you know, five, former Washburn quarterback, Corey Ballantyne, rookie and Grant Haley. Um, it seems like that's a coaching mistake. What do you think of, you know, waiting this long to get Julian Love on the field? 
I see we're not in the locker room, so it's kind of hard to weigh in on right. us just bashing the coaching staff for not getting Julian Love on the field. The important thing is he's on the field now and he has been playing really well. I wrote about Julian Love at Big Blue View, SB Nation's Giants affiliate, and came away with solid things from the Chicago game. But he was making open field tackles here. There's no Jabril Peppers back there who is the emotional leader. He is the probably the best player on that defense outside maybe the some of the guys on the defensive line. Peppers isn't out there, and Julian Love was making some big boy plays, open field tackles, stopping drives with Aaron Rodgers there. And it's very, very intriguing to see, and that's exactly what every Giant fan needs to see. It's the little glimpses of hope for the future for these young players. But I'm a little bit hesitant to just jump all over Betcher and jump all over the Giants brass because I'm not 100% sure why he wasn't out there. We're not in the locker room. So I, we don't know if he had some kind of comprehension issue with this defense, but he's out there now, and that is a good thing. Let's have him learn throughout the rest of this just albatross of a season. Yeah, for sure. And what do you make of, Nick, this game? One thing that stood out to me for sure was really with the exception of Marcus Golden, the Giants really struggled to get pressure and a consistent pass rush from, you know, guys like Lorenzo Carter, even Leonard Williams, Dexter Lawrence. What are What's going on here? Why did Aaron Rodgers have all day back there today? I mean, that offensive line is pretty good as oh, well. Yeah. No, so they we should have really... a really good offensive line. You're right. Yeah, we shouldn't take anything away from that, but it's the Giants. They don't have a pass rush, and that's a big reason why I'm sitting here saying I I don't actively root for the Giants to lose these games. You know, that, that little kid, that nostalgic kid comes out in you, and you start rooting for them down the stretch. But when the Giants lose, I'm more happy when they lose than when they win right now because that could result in Chase Young, and that literally – is a franchise-changing pass rusher that changes all those blemishes that are in the secondary and changes yep. so many different things for this team and the trajectory of this franchise, landing a, pro- or a yeah, prospect like that, landing a player like that, you know? So I would much rather, I mean, I, again, I don't actively root against them, but you would much rather lose a game to Miami and a game to Philadelphia in 2019 than not have Chase Young for the next 10 to 15 years. Yeah, no doubt. So, um, so you're looking like – and that's what the Giants need right now. They need a number one because Marcus Carter is not a number one pass rusher. Marcus Golden is not a number one pass rusher. Say the Giants bring Golden back on a two-year deal or whatever. You bring in a guy like Chase Young. That changes the complexity of this entire defense. That is so pivotal. But, yes, there's you can't generate enough pressure against above-average offensive lines with – the current construct of this defense. These interior defensive linemen are talented. They can stop the run, but they don't necessarily get a lot of interior pressure when it comes to rushing passer, especially because the edge rushers do not get that pressure. Golden can win a one-on-one once in a while. We haven't seen that from Carter on a consistent basis, and we just need more just talent at that edge position. And it's something that we've kind of been talking about. It's a big reason why a lot of Giants fans were pissed off that they passed on Josh Allen because he is that talent. But, you know, you got the quarterback of the future. Can't really knock that right now. So landing a pass rush relationship could change the whole complexity of this defense and the trajectory of this entire franchise. Yeah, and I think from what I've seen, at least from Golden, I'm hoping the Giants do re-sign him. And I think he's one of those guys, him, Williams, Lawrence, less so maybe Carter. He might be just more of a situational guy for the Giants eventually. But he could be one of those guys that really starts to look better. And all those guys, I believe, if you get a guy like Chase Young in, because then he'll be taking double teams on snaps and you'll get all these guys with single teams. Um, in addition to him just making plays that mask some of the deficiencies in the secondary, I'm not, I'm not like 
at the point where, you know, I'll ever root for this team to, to lose, you know, you think there, I mean, we both agree there are some positives to gain from, you know, building a positive culture in the locker room and getting Daniel mm-hmm. Jones some key wins during his rookie season. But at the same time, Chase Young could just be one of those guys. I mean, some people believe he could even be a better prospect than the Bosa brothers, which is cr- crazy to think about. But, you know, you watch him every week. He's dominant again against Michigan, in my opinion, had some, was held on a few plays that would have been sacks and three sacks a week before. Um, he is the real deal. So there'll be more talk about Jay's Young as we move forward. Um, we'll see what happens there. But how about the Giants' run game? Does that feel like we can flip over to more of a positive? Saquon Barkley, 19 carries, 83 yards, 4.4 yards per carry. Uh, his best game in a while on the ground. I thought the Giants actually found some more success running the ball, and their offensive line started to block a little bit better. And I was a little, you know, disappointed the Giants. I, I was actually found myself rooting occasionally for the Giants to go run, run, especially in these conditions to to get, you know, because they were picking up four yards on these carries a lot of the time. What did you make of kind of the improvements there? Is that something we'll just have to wait for the All-22 to know? I mean, not just the All-22. It could be the conditions as well that could assisted the run game. I want to see how these guys got to the second level, the the offensive line. I want to see how they were able to maintain their blocks, especially guys like Will Hernandez, Zeitler, players like that, how the interior offensive line was able to kind of execute from the All-22 angle. But, I mean, when the game started out, they came out with two straight runs, got that neutral zone infraction, and you're like, okay, and then they go for a third and one, just a negative run where there was no communication on the play. And it was just like, damn it. But, no, you're right. Dan, 19 carries, 83 yards, average 4.4 yards. That's something that we have not seen from the Giants. And there were a couple chunk yardage plays, a couple chunk plays down the stretch in the third quarter where I was like, all right, Saquon hit the hole hard. There were a couple plays where he missed the hole and it was brought up by the telecast. But there were a couple plays where he hit the hole hard. The blocking was clean. And one of those things where you're like, this is what Pat Shermer really wants his team to do. This is what he's trying to establish, but they can never get it done. We really have not seen it since – before the injury with Saquon, not saying that it's necessarily the only reason why it's related, but since before that Tampa Bay injury, Saquon hasn't been able to do that. So it was good to see him kind of put that together, the rushing game and the offensive line blocking, that is. I mean, because again, team sport, you need all those kind of pieces to work together and work with each other. And in these conditions against Green Bay, they were able to kind of have a little bit of success. You want a little bit more success, though, at home, of course, but it's good to see Barkley almost get to 100 yards, but at least not average 2.5 yards per carry. Yeah, no doubt about that. On, on another positive note, uh, surprising leading receiver for the New York Giants, Caden Smith had six receptions for 70 yards at that 32-yarder where Jones voided pressure, I thought, and did an excellent job getting the ball out there to give him a chance to make a play. That was an awesome play by both of them. Uh, for me, when I watch him play, I'm pretty excited about what I'm seeing. I think he might be a little bit of a gem. I like his body control in the air. Um, I like his kind of fluid movements within his route running and after he catches the football. What did you make of Smith today? Who kind of played, you know, last week it was a little bit surprising when he played the vast majority of the snaps. But to me, I'm starting to think the Giants may have a younger, cheaper option with more upside than Red Ellison and give them even more reason to move on from a guy like Ellison this coming offseason. I, I want to check out his blocking because there were a couple of times against Chicago where his blocking didn't, incre- uh, didn't impress me too much, but okay. blocking in Chicago, you know, but... I know I thought as a receiver, he was able to get open. I thought, again, he had a little bit of wiggle for a bigger tight end. And it's again, this is going to be a much cheaper option, like you said, than Rhett Ellison and players like that. So I think it's somebody that you kind of can maybe rely on as that number two tight end. This is a rookie. So I um, came away relatively impressed in Green Bay. Is a team that has been susceptible against the tight end. They've gotten carved up this season by the tight end position. I remember Kyle Allen went up to Green Bay and Greg Olson had 
a year like it was 2007 <laughs> all over again against that team. So they kind of have struggled to guard that position. And having Evan Ingram and Rhett Ellison out made me think that maybe it was going to be a lost cause for the Giants. But Kane Smith kind of stepped up, rang the bell. So it was good to see from another young player that the Giants may rely on in the future. Yeah, I mean, listen, he's somebody who really intrigued me. I like his build. He's six foot five, 255 pounds. Um, obviously, he was a six-round pick by the Niners. They didn't think it worked out there. But, you know, he's another guy who comes from that Stanford University where they produced a lot of NFL tight ends there. We now see Austin Hooper turning in big numbers uh, for the Falcons before his injury. And so, really, I thought um, – I remember actually watching that Pac-12 championship game where he had four four for 80 and two touchdowns. That's when kind of he got on the attention of some – some scouts and obviously, you know, he had an injury during his junior year at college and that kind of slowed him down. But he, you know, is a player who I think is super intriguing right now for the Giants. I really like what I've seen so far. And he does, like I said, come from a place where a lot of tight ends have, have transferred into the NFL. Um, other than Smith and some of the other players we've touched on, is there any other players you think we missed, Nick, that we should dive into or any other, uh, you know, think any other storylines from the game we missed maybe? No, not necessarily. And there's not many people I want to touch on at this moment, but, Excited to get into the tape whenever it drops, either Monday night, Tuesday morning, whenever, you know, NFL Game Pass decides to drop the tape that we so rely on. Then we will dive into this team and see who starred and who floundered. Yeah, I think that's fair, Nick. I'm at the same point. You know, we dove into a lot of the key mo- key points here, the NFL draft order, where we're at with Shermer, Daniel Jones, um, and some of the players who stood out. And we'll definitely get a chance, obviously, to dive into the All-22 check back with us later this week. We appreciate you guys tuning in, especially during such hey. a— you know, Dan. Yeah. Yep. Dan, before we before we go, I want to uh, I want to ask you a question that arose in the timeline. Okay, we didn't talk about this beforehand, right, audience? But I want to ask you a question that arose in the timeline. Does Jerry Reese deserve to be put into the Ring of Honor? Obviously, as you know, I'm not a big fan of Jerry Reese, and I know that's controversial among some Giants fans, but. Um, I don't give him much credit for either of those two Super Bowls. I think the 2011 roster was a really bad roster that Eli Manning carried uh, with just playing unbelievable lights out football that no one gives him credit for. But if you actually watch the tape that year, Eli was unreal. Um, And obviously the pass rush came alive in the playoffs, which is nice, but mostly Eli was throwing for 300 a game in those playoffs with, I believe it was 11 to one touchdown interception ratio. So that was an Eli year for me. And then that 2007 roster, like I said, it was built in a way that Reese never built his rosters through the trenches. Um, and with good free agent class from 2005 that Ernie Corsi signed with Kareem McKenzie at right tackle and Plaxico Burris and Antonio Pierce. And so I can't give Reese credit for a, a terrible blueprint, um, which I believe was building from the outside in, focusing on the skill positions, and then B, really two Super Bowls that I just can't largely credit to his management. What about you, Nick? Do you feel like he belongs there? I think there's a conversation, and it's because he was a part of those Ernie Corsi draft classes. He had his hand in that, and he was a two-time Super Bowl champion as a general manager, and albeit, like you said, fully acknowledged, that was Ernie Corsi's roster in 07, but they did win in 11. I think there is a conversation to be had, but largely Jerry Reese was underwhelming in my opinion, so it's a really weird kind of – battle within me because you have to acknowledge the success that he had as a general manager but at the same time everything you said is not inaccurate (laughs) so that's why i kind of wanted to bring it up on the podcast because i know giant fans are sort of split on this issue when it comes to jerry reese and it did not end pretty whatsoever i mean you're getting fired mid-season i think that will leave him out but 
I think it was something that uh, I saw on the timeline that is interesting and I thought we should have, uh, you know, just had a little discussion on it. Yeah, and it's an interesting question, Nick, because I do think it kind of boils down to your opinion of Eli Manning in my mind. And again, remember, Ernie Accorsi found Eli Manning. That was all Ernie. That had nothing to do with Reese. Um, and in my mind, I do believe that uh, Jerry Reese wasted Eli Manning's career. And I know it sounds crazy because Eli Manning got those two Super Bowls, but I think he would have been a much better quarterback with a roster that was built in a completely different way, um, focused around the offensive line. Uh, for starters, and kind of similar to that to the style of offense that they ran, um, you know, until 2011, um, until or until a little bit after when Gilbrad was fired, but more so just built through the trenches. I believe Eli Manning is a quarterback who can always win with any variety of wide receivers on the field, but more important than that was he needed time. Um, he needed the ability to scan the field, and that wasn't given to him by Jerry Reese. And for that reason alone, I do believe that Jerry Reese was you know, a detriment on arguably the best talent the Giants have ever had at the quarterback position, if you really look at it. Um, so for me, that'll always be the defining trait. But I do understand the flip side of it, which, you know, he was a part of those Accorsi rosters for sure. And they won two Super Bowls technically with Reese as the general manager. So got to give him some credit for that. Anything else, Nick, before we dive, before we kind of break for the next couple of days and then dive into the tape? Nah, man, let's uh, let's just uh, break this game down and. Yep. And have a good time doing it. And listen, guys, stick, guys and girls, stick with us because there's a lot of good stuff to come. I know it's probably hard to grind through some of these games. Um, every game a loser. And obviously less positives to focus on than last year when they kind of made a nice little second half run. But stick with us because big things are coming. The Giants are obviously going to be making ma- massive changes offseason. We're going to be here for it. So stick, stay tuned uh, and have a great week. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.